We're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 6, the first eight verses this morning as we start this series. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Isaiah 6. If you don't, the text is printed in your bulletin. It's there on page 6, with place to take notes on page 7. So Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Listen now, this is God's word. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. This is God's word. We're doing a series called A Life of Worship because all of our lives is a call to worship God. Okay, God calls us to worship Him in all of life. Romans 12, 2 says, Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice which is your spiritual act of worship. So all of life is an act of worship. And one of the best ways to learn how to worship God daily is through worshiping him on Sundays. Okay, what we do here is an outflow. It's an expression of what we ought to be doing Monday through Saturday. Okay, one uh, one author said this, that Sunday worship is an expression of the church's highest thoughts about God and our relationship to him, okay? People should know who God is from what we do on Sundays when we worship him. Plus, the better we understand what we do here on Sundays in worship, the better we will be able to enter into our worship, the better we'll be able to participate in the worship that we experience each week. And so we're going to start the series on worship by doing a short series on the God that we worship, okay? And so today we're going to look at the God who is holy. The God who is holy. And this is important because to understand how to worship, it's important to know who we worship. Right? That makes sense, doesn't it? You know, who God is affects how we worship him. Okay? And so we've got a couple of quotes there from, one, from this author, A.W. Tozer, on the top of page 7. And these are just powerful when we think about who God is. He says this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God 
is the most important thing about us. And he gives a little bit of the reason why in the second quote. He says, we tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. So whatever we conceive of God to be, we move toward that image to reflect that image. And so, like I said, today we're going to start by seeing that God is holy. And we're going to see this really in three points. Okay, We're going to see this, as if you want to take notes on page 7, we're going to see first what holiness means for God. Second, what holiness means for us. And then third, what holiness means for worship. For worship. Okay, so first, what holiness means for God. This is verses 1 to 4 in our text. In this passage, we see a revelation of God. This is God revealing himself, showing who he is. And the one characteristic that overarches everything in these eight verses is that God is holy. Okay, God is holy. What does that mean? Well, a couple of definitions. First, holiness means that God is just. Okay, Holiness means that God is just. He is absolutely perfect. Well, and Psalm 11 teaches us what that means. Um, it first means, when you think about the justice of God, it means that God loves what is good. Okay, God loves what is good. Psalm 11, verse 7. It's there on the, uh, on the right column there. It says, For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. So holiness doesn't mean necessarily, it's, it's not holier than thou, okay? Holiness oftentimes connotes this image of stuffy people who really aren't real, you know, don't feel real, and who act like they're better than you. That's not what this is. Holiness for God, there's a genuine beauty in holiness, okay? When you see something that's holy, truly holy, there's a beauty to it. There's a goodness to it. It's attractive. And it delights God. God loves what is holy. He loves what is good. And then the flip side is that he hates what is evil. Verse 5 of Psalm 11. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. God hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. God stands opposed to evil. Okay, he opposes evil because it's wrong, but also, just as there's a beauty to holiness, there's an ugliness to what is evil. There's an ugliness to things that are bad, and it vandalizes the beauty of God's world. Okay, evil is evil, and yet there's an ugliness to it that vandalizes and mars the beauty of God's intention for the world. So God hates evil. Now, if you're like me, this makes you a little bit uncomfortable, right? This idea that God hates something. And so if you're bothered by that, just wait, it gets worse. It gets worse. When we think about holiness, it's not just that God is just and perfect. It's not merely that. But holiness also means that God is not like us. God is not like us. He's not a perfect version of humanity. Okay? He is different from us. 
He is not human. He is the creator. He's not a creature. Okay, theologians call this the creature-creator distinction. There's a big difference between us and God. I mean, we look, even in our text, we see that God is surrounded by worshiping angels. Look at verse 2. Around him stood the seraphim. They had six wings. With two, they're covering their face. They can't even look at God. Okay? That's how holy he is. They can't even look at him. With two, they're covering their feet. Okay? Because they know they're on holy ground, and they don't belong in his presence. God is different from us. Numbers 23, verse 19, says says exactly this. God is not a man that he should lie nor a son of man, that he should repent. Okay, God is unlike us in very profound ways. He has always been. Okay, God has no, has, has no beginning. There is no beginning to God. He is infinite and he is unchangeable. Okay, he is unlike us. And being unlike us also means that he has authority. I mean, verse 1, he is sitting on a throne. So he is ruling and reigning, and this throne is high and lifted up. God is exalted. He is above us. He is over us. He is in authority. Isaiah 40, verses 15 and 17. Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket and are counted as small dust on the scales. I love that verse. They're they're not just dust on the scales, but they're the small dust on the scales. There is small dust on the scales. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted by him as less than nothing and worthless. You know, we use the phrase sometimes knee-high to a grasshopper, right? Or something that's really small. You don't even come up that far on a grasshopper, right? I mean, this is that to an extreme. So God is in authority. And this may be... He doesn't need us. Okay, God doesn't need us. Acts 17, verses 24 and 25. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything. Since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. These verses, this revelation of God gives us a side of God that we normally don't hear about. We just don't talk about this much. But Isaiah shows us this side of God because God wants us to understand this about him. This is part of who God is. And this, this really does, it hits us. It hits us where we need to be hit because oftentimes we take God for granted. You think about it, our relationship with him, it's sort of a matter of convenience, isn't it? I mean, we think about him when we need him. You know, there was one lady who said, the most important thing about religion is that it's there when you need it. I think I understand what she's trying to say, and if I were trying to give her the benefit of the doubt, I could maybe work that out to be something that's a good thing to say, but, but Isaiah is showing us the God who is there, right? The God who exists. And this is a God that that we don't want to play with. 
This is a God that we shouldn't think of merely as a convenience when we need him. I think passages like this sort of help shake us up a little bit and they make us unsettled. And the point isn't to get depressed or to hurt our self-esteem because God doesn't really need us. It's just to help us to know who God is. Okay? This is who he is. He is holy. He is holy. This is what it means for God to be holy. Our second point, what holiness means for us. And this is verses 5, really 5 through, um, five through 7. What it means for us, typically it means that we hide. Just first and foremost, we hide. Because honestly, this is what we don't like about God. Okay, this is what a lot of people don't like about Christianity. When Christians start talking this way about God, it, it does make people uncomfortable. Um, and so if you're here and you're not a Christian, or if you're a young Christian and this is making you uncomfortable, let me just let you know that this makes all of us uncomfortable. Okay? Even for Christians, this makes us uncomfortable too. Okay, these are truths about the God, and we all have to deal with these, and they don't make us any more comfortable than they make you, okay? So you just need to know that. We get uncomfortable about this, too. Um, Isaiah, his response is, woe is me, in verse 5, right? That's Isaiah's response. In the New Testament, the apostle Peter, at one point in Luke chapter 5, verse 8, Jesus does a miracle, and Peter realizes how awful he is. And he says almost the same thing. He says, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Okay, so even for Christians, this unsettles us. I know for me, when I remember God's holiness, and this study has been an exercise for me to bring this attribute of God, this characteristic of God, back more into the forefront of my mind, when I think about God's holiness, I start remembering my sins, my imperfections. And you're probably doing that right now. You know, and, and it makes me feel guilty. I am impatient. And I, I get angry with people. Uh, my thoughts aren't pure. I look at things that aren't pure. I get frustrated with other people. I'm quick to be concerned for my ways and my wants. And when I think about God's holiness, it's like these things, it's like the light shines in my life. And I see these things much more clearly. And it's really uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable. It makes me want to hide. I think there's so many of us that just can't wait to meet God because, you know, we have this list, right, in our back pocket, and we're ready to bring it out because we've got questions for him, right? He's going to have to answer for some of the stuff that we've seen in the world, right? He's going to answer for some of the things that we've been through in life, right? Maybe if you're like me, you've got these questions that you want to ask him. And you know what? Verses 2 and 3 are amazing to me. Because these are the seraphim. These are angels, okay? Angelic beings where if you were to stand before them, you would fall down and worship them by mistake. You would think they are gods. In fact, that's what happens throughout the Bible. When the angels appear, people just fall down and worship them. And they say, stop, cut it out, get up. Like, we're not God. Worship God, not us. Okay, and so these angelic beings, they are standing before the presence of God. And what are they doing? 
Are, there spend, are they spending all their time getting answers to the curious questions that they have or asking God about this or why does he do that? No, these angels, they've been in God's presence for thousands of years before this vision, okay? They have been in the presence of God for thousands and thousands of years. And what are they doing? They are standing in awe of the holiness of God. After thousands of years, what are they doing? The the curtain peels back. We get to look into heaven, and they're crying out in amazement to each other. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. They are still overwhelmed by the holiness of God. They can't believe it. And Isaiah's response, verse 5, I'm lost. I am undone. I am cursed. Woe is me. Because I have seen the Lord. Isaiah says, I'm in trouble because I am full of sin. I've got unclean lips. I have spoken things I should not have spoken. And I'm living among people who are speaking things that should not be spoken. This is what causes us to hide. When we realize who God is, it prompts us to hide. And and the problem is, as we want to hide from God, secretly, it's like we know that we're hiding from something that we need. What do I mean by that? Well, we know, like in our hearts, like we like to know that God's holiness is there. Okay? We need for there to be holiness in God. We need God to be there because, well, because we want to judge people when they do stuff that's wrong. Right? Because when stuff goes wrong, like we react to that. Right? We also hate evil and injustice. Right? I mean, we also get bothered when we see things that shouldn't be this way. And we need to know that there's something up there, that there is something that's going to make things right. And so even as we hide, we still need God's holiness to be there, right? Because we know right and wrong. We have this sense and we need to know that justice at some point is going to be served. And so we kind of have this dilemma. And and it's interesting because even as we hide from God, I think also we hide God. You know, sometimes we we sort of like put wallpaper up on certain parts of who God is to cover them up so we don't have to deal with them. You know, like we want God to be holy, but not perfectly holy. Okay, holy enough so I can confront somebody else. But, you know, if he's perfectly holy, then I got to look in too. And I don't want that. And so you know, we ignore aspects of who God is, or sometimes we refashion God into an image that's much safer for us. I just don't think about that part of God, or I don't believe in that part of God. Or, you know, at those verses, I choose to believe these verses that talk about some other aspect of who God is. And, you know, while I understand the motivation to do that, this is the revelation of God. This is what he's revealed. All of it. All of it. And we can't ignore some of it because we prefer others. We don't know how to handle it. If we are undone by the vision of God's holiness, 
then we're exactly where God wants us to be. Okay, because that's where the prophet Isaiah was. It's where the seraphim, the angels are. In the Chronicles of Narnia, kids' books that speak truth that goes so far beyond what kids can comprehend, the two girls, Susan and Lucy, they're getting ready to meet Aslan, the lion. Okay, he's the picture of Jesus in these stories. And then Susan hears from someone that Aslan is a lion. And this is what she says. Ooh, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. To which she's told, that you will, dearie. You will feel nervous. And make no mistake, if there is anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. And then Lucy says, then isn't he safe? To which she hears, safe? Aren't you listening? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. But he's good. And my friends, that goodness is the key because it leads us to the good news. What holiness means for us is that we hide, but it also for us means that we need the gospel. We need the good news, and the gospel reveals God's holiness for us. God's holiness for us. The answer, if you feel undone, the answer for you is that you need to come and to trust Jesus. You need to come and to trust Jesus it is dangerous to come to Jesus. Okay, it is dangerous. He is not safe, but he is good. When you come, at first it feels scary. It does. Ask anybody who is a Christian. At first it feels scary because you don't know what to expect. You don't know what he's going to say. You don't know how he's going to react. You don't know what he's going to call you to do or what you are to be. If it feels unfamiliar, it should, because he's God. When you come to God, that should feel unfamiliar. That should feel uncomfortable. That should feel scary. He's holy. I know that when you approach God, you want... You want to put your best foot forward, right? You want to think about all the good things that you've done. You want to think about the best that you have to offer because you're hoping that you might impress him, right? You're hoping that he's going to look and go, all right, good, bad, scales tip. Yeah, you're in. You know, I like you. You're good. I mean, this is how I lived my whole life. I spent growing up thinking God was really excited about me until I actually came face to face with him. He does see the good things that you do, but he sees it all. And what initiates a relationship with God is that he wants you to admit the rest. He wants you to admit it. He knows that you're trembling. He knows that he is scary to meet. When you come to God, this image, he is sitting on a throne. And you know what he does? On this throne, his hand comes up in judgment. It does. 
It comes up in judgment. It's, it's, it's raised to pronounce what you expect. And that is judgment, punishment, and curse on you for your sins. His hand raises up. That's what a holy and just judge does. His holiness will not stand for your sins. And so your sins deserve the fiery judgment of God. But as his hand comes up, that's when you see that the God on the throne is Jesus himself. And when you see that it's Jesus, you notice that in his hand, there's a hole. There is a hole in the hand of the judge where the spike was driven to hold him to the cross. And as his hand raises up, you see underneath his arm the place in his side where the spear was thrust. When you see that, you see the gospel. Because the judge, the one who is coming in judgment against your sins, the judge himself is the one who paid the price for your sins. When you come to Jesus and you see his outstretched arm, you realize that it's coming not in judgment, it's coming in benediction. It's coming in blessing. He, co- he says, I want you to experience not my judgment, but my grace. He is the one that we come. Isaiah cried out for a need for cleansing, and God responded by sending an angel with tongs from the altar and a hot coal, I mean, searing, purging Isaiah's sins from him. Imagine the pain of that. And yet for us, the pain to purge not just our lips, but our whole bodies, all of that pain was taken by Jesus so that we could be forgiven. Jesus' whole body was burned in the flames of God's judgment. He experienced the white-hot wrath of God for us. Steve Camp has a song. Maybe we'll sing this at some point in the future. We worship you, Lord, in the beauty of holiness. Holiness goes from being terrifying to beautiful. It goes on. We worship you, Lord, in the beauty of holiness, clothed in your righteousness, cleansed by your blood. Broken we come, humbly before you. We love and adore you because you are the Lord. When you think about holiness, we talked about holiness and what it means for God, and you feel like that makes God less personal, less concerned with humanity, you know, because he's high and lifted up and he's apart from us, he doesn't need us. That's the exact wrong conclusion that the holiness of God is supposed to engender in you. The cross shows that the otherness of God is designed to show us just how far he comes, just how much he cares for us.
if we were going to be doing the Lord's Supper today, you would see just how close God comes to make sure that you know his blessings so far that we could touch him, taste him. So this is God's holy, uh, this is what holiness means for us. It's our second point. Our third point is then what holiness means for worship. For, and, you know, before we go on to this, if you're not a Christian, can I invite you to this Jesus? Would you please become a Christian today? I mean, what more could you ask for? A God who looks at you and sees you in everything that you've done and yet is willing to take the punishment for you. That should make you bow your knee. Say, Jesus, I will follow you for what you have done for me. You can pray right now. Jesus, I'm sorry. I have lived too too long apart from you. Would you forgive my sins and let your sacrifice be for me? If you pray that prayer, God will forgive your sins and his hand of blessing will come upon you. Our third point, again, what holiness means for worship. For worship. What does this mean for Sunday worship? Well, this is the God that we're worshiping. Okay? We enter into this. Okay, we're going to talk as we go through what we do on Sundays. And, and God is inviting us into his presence where the angels adore him, where saints who have died have gone on to be with him. He is surrounded by praise, and that's what we enter into. And so we are entering into holy ground, holy ground. And so what we do in worship matters, okay? It matters so much. If you look at Leviticus 10, Verses 1 to 3. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So you see, God didn't tell them to put this particular incense in. They offered him a different kind of incense than what he clearly prescribed what he clearly told them to do. What happened? Verse 2. And fire came out before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. We need to make sure that what we do in worship is what God is telling us to do in worship because we are in his presence. We're on holy ground. I think, too, as we think about worship, our focus needs to be on Jesus, right? He is the one. It's what he has done and who he is that helps us to be able to connect to the God of the universe, right? Jesus is God, and yet he's a mediator between us and God, right? And so our worship focuses on Jesus, it also means forgiveness needs to be a big part of this because as we come into the presence of a holy God, we're all, we all have issues. We all have, this is why we do confession every week, right? It's to remind us that God is holy, that we are not, and his forgiveness washes us clean. So that's what it means for Sunday worship. But then, what about Monday through Saturday? Right, what about the rest of the week? I think verse 8 is interesting. 
And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. This is like a benediction. The way we end our service. Isaiah, having experienced God's presence, having come face to face with who God is, feeling undone and yet receiving his cleansing forgiveness. The next step in that, God then is looking at the world. He's looking, he's got people he wants to reach. He's got a message he wants to get out. And so he calls out, who will go for us? Who will, you know, who, yeah, who, who can we send? Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Isaiah says, send me. Not because I'm worthy, but because you've made me worthy. Right? Verse 8 calls all of us to spend Monday through Saturday following the Lord. Right? Taking our experience of worship and then bringing it into the rest of our lives. Going with the message. And it's not the message of holier than thou. It's the message of I've been forgiven. I see God changing me. And I want you to understand that. Like, I want you to experience that same thing. If you're struggling, I've got something that's worked for me. We become his ambassadors. We become his ambassadors. And God says, 1 Peter 1.16, Be holy as I am holy. And so holiness on Sunday means holiness Monday through Saturday. Right? You hear stories of people who live one way at church on Sunday, and then when they leave... They're different people. Brothers and sisters, this ought not to be so. God says, be holy because I am holy. And if you're like me, when you hear that, you think, well, how? (laughs) How? Because, I mean, what do we do? Well, the answer to that is that we need God's holiness in us. Okay? We need his holiness in us. And this is part of the joy of the gospel. Because when you confess your sin to him, your relationship to God's holiness changes, okay? The light that has blinded you begins to show you the way to live, right? That light that's not shining in your eyes anymore because you've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus begins to show you how to live the rest of your life. You know, the searing heat begins to warm your cold heart. His holiness comes in and it begins to change you. For me, it makes me less angry. It makes me more patient. It makes me more pure in my thoughts, more pure about the things that I look at. It makes me quicker to care for others, less concerned about my wants and more concerned about other people's wants. When the presence of God comes into your life, He forgives you, he cleanses you, and then he fills you with himself. His spirit comes in and brings his holiness. And so it's no longer a fire that destroys, but it's one that warms and purifies our lives. And I've seen this. I've seen this happen in your lives. Someone who was radically addicted to pornography, stacks of pornography in the bedroom, Taken and dumped in the trash can. People who were engaging in sex, 
that as they drew near to the presence of God, as they began to experience his holiness, said, you know what? God wants better for us. Sex outside of marriage. Sorry. <laughs> Husbands, wives, it's holy to have sex. Go for it early, often. Okay. <clears throat> but no, there are people who have said, you know what? We were living in this way and we stopped because of the presence of God. And, and not so much, I mean, it takes sacrifice, right? Sometimes what you have to give up feels like you're cutting off an arm, right? Or you're plucking out an eye. Like sometimes it feels that way. But doing it because of the joy of knowing God. Because God's presence, his holiness has come in, has drawn near to them in a way that's actually warming their hearts so they begin to, they begin to want to do what he wants them to do. the sense of God's holiness that hopefully you've experienced today, bring that with you into the rest of your life because it's the same God. It's the same God. And for me, for me personally, the way that I bring this into my life is through prayer. Okay, it's just prayer. Reading the Bible doesn't help unless it prompts me to pray about this because I'll tell you what, it's hard to compete with everything that's shouting at you, okay? And so to my, in my experience, holiness becomes a reality in my life when I pray about God's holiness and I let his light shine in my unholy places. As I let that happen, it draws me closer to him. It fills me with a sense of joy in his holiness and the beauty that goes along with it. And that's what purifies my heart. So I'd invite you to do that too. Let's go to the Lord now and ask him to make this real for each of us. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much. You who are so holy that you, you say in one place, you don't even look upon evil, and yet you have looked upon us in offering your forgiveness and then coming to dwell with us that you would dwell in a sinful heart like mine, in a broken heart, that you would dwell in the midst of people who just aren't holy. Thank you. Thank you. I want to live my life for you. I want to give you everything. I want my life to reflect and resonate with a beauty that shows your holiness. Would you help all of us and Jesus, for those who haven't yet put their trust in you, would you show them that, no, you're not safe, but you're good, and help them to draw near and see, see your nail-pierced hands. Here we are, Lord. Send us. Send us this week into your world for your sake. Amen.